0: Hi, my name is Simon Luckhurst, and this is season two of Ear Movies Conversations with Buckthumper. At one point in my life, I did a lot of driving. Some of it was in northwestern New South Wales while researching my book, Eddie's Country. There's a lot of long, straight, flat roads out there in that space between Narrabri, Walgett, Lightning Ridge, and Coloranabri. I think the concept for this story came as the dry grass rolled past my window, as we followed the tree line to another dusty small town. Darren Gilshannon used to go out with a friend of mine, and I met him through her. When we spoke about recording this story, I reminisced about the time years ago. We'd both gone to a Sydney front show at the Performance Space in Redfern. They were an experimental theatre troupe, and for this show the audience was asked to dress in black petticoats for the duration of the performance. I was happy that Darren remembered this experience as well, and it wasn't just a hallucination from the 80s. He does a great job of reading this story, just the voice I wanted, hope you like it.
1: Conversations with Buckthumper. She was mesmerising. Jason Riley wasn't normally the kind of bloke who used poetic language. He'd grown up east of Narrabri, at the foot of Mount Kaputar. He'd gone to high school in Tamworth and then studied agricultural economics at UNE. The degree had been a struggle. Then he'd gone straight back home. Five years later, he'd taken over the family property although his father still regularly contributed his 20 cents worth. They had pole Herefords, mainly. The girl was tantalising, Jason realised. She was what tantalising meant. Jay's best mate, Jeff Cundall, ran a produce store like Jason. He had taken over from his father. It was Jeff who suggested they go to the conference on the Gold Coast. It was called Emerging Trends in the Agricultural Sector. But they both knew there'd be plenty of time to fit in a few bundies. A weekend away in South Queensland was a no-brainer. Was Jason falling in love? Could you fall in love so quickly? They'd travelled up on Friday evening, getting to Jupiter's just after eleven. They drank, had a go on the poker machines and watched the people. Jeff was as shy as Jason. They'd talked about playing blackjack, but neither went near the table. Country town boys, Jason said. They told each other they'd hit the casino floor properly the next night. She was sexy and beautiful. Jason couldn't take his eyes off her. She caught his eye across the floor. She'd looked away, but then turned back and smiled. He'd raised his glass to her and she'd grinned again. he checked to see if Jeff had noticed. He hadn't. But when Jason looked back, the woman was gone. Jason and Jeff sat through the conference the next day. There'd been some good talks on fertiliser and herbicide and GMOs and the new markets. They'd had a long lunch and skipped the sessions on irrigation and bush regeneration. When they'd dressed for the conference dinner, Jason felt self-conscious in his new shirt, pants and shoes. Jeff had new clobber too. They had a couple of drinks before dinner and chatted to some of the guys. There was a fundraise of a sun bloke who'd rolled his tractor and they'd bought some raffle tickets. Stuffed if Jason didn't win a decent looking watch in a case. They had a few more Bundys. Jeff was pretty smashed and went outside for a smoke. When he came back, he looked grey. Spinning out, mate. Jeff wasn't a big drinker and had given up Siggies a couple of years back. Then he spewed in a rubbish bin. Jason took him up to his room and pushed him into his bed. Sorry, mate. Jeff muttered. Jason rolled him on his side and pulled his boots off. Jeff was snoring before Jason got out the door. Jason went back to his room. It was only 9.30. He took a beer out of the minibar, put on the TV, but it was all crap. He finished the beer and tossed the can towards the bin under the counter. An impossible shot. Somehow it ricocheted off a chair leg straight in. Classic. He was about to go to bed but thought... Uh, what would Jeff say next day? He didn't want to be called a wuss. He was feeling good. Maybe he should try Blackjack. He went downstairs. Jupiter's was humming. There were people everywhere. There was nowhere in Narrabri remotely like it. Not even Tamworth during the country and Western. Jason stood against the wall in the same spot he'd been with Jeff the previous night. He half thought of the chick he'd seen. It had been a long time since a woman had smiled at him like that. He went to the bar and got a drink, and then went over to the blackjack tables. He watched for a while, and then a place opened up. Would you like to play, sir? The dealer asked. Jason fingered the chips in his pocket. Sure, he said. Yeah, yeah, I'll give it a go. Half an hour later, he was up $500. He couldn't do wrong. It was sensational. He just kept winning. He had a couple more drinks and figured if he went back down to three fifty he'd pull out. That was a good number to rub in Jeff's face, but he kept going up. He soon had a grand's worth of chips in front of him. Then it got even better. He looked up from the table to see the girl from the night before watching him. He was a rue at the end of a spotlight, like he was waiting for a bullet. He was frozen. The dealer was waiting for him. He looked at the six of clubs and the four of hearts he held. He asked for another and was given an ace. Fifteen hundred dollars. And now the girl was standing next to him. He won three more and then lost one and then lost three more and then he knew it was time to stop. He was back to fifteen hundred. Fifteen hundred bucks! He'd never won anything like that in his life. Must be your lucky night, the girl said. (laughs) Hmph. Won a watch earlier too. Third time's a charm, she said to him. She had the deepest eyes. Her skin was chamois smooth. He wanted to touch it. What are you going to do with all that money, she asked. He had to go for it. First thing is buy you a drink, he said. She nodded and touched his arm. My name's Gina, she told him. Jason, he said. Nice to meet you, Jason, she said. A few more drinks and she led him to the roulette table. And yeah, he lost more than he won, but she insisted he stop after dropping 150 bucks. He would have gone on, but she was suddenly very earnest and caring. It was a night of insane fun with Gina on his arm, and he was still ahead a $1,000. Don't suppose you're hungry? he asked. It was after midnight, the conference dinner had been at 8, and drinking always gave him the munchies. To his delight, she nodded. Just something small. Darling, you can have the pick of the menu, he told her laughing. She laughed back and then took his hand, suddenly serious. Jason, I need to know, do you have someone at home? Are you married? Kids? Because I don't know if I've ever met anyone quite like you before. And, and, and what, he asked. Well, she shook her head. Nothing. It's just the wine speaking. Look, I'm footloose and fancy-free, he told her, and I'd really like to get to know you better. She ordered the Caesar salad. He had a T-bone and bought them a dozen oysters to start. They were good oysters. Tell me about you, she said. He told her about the property and his parents and uni and cattle. And now it's your turn, he said. Their meals arrived before she could talk. God, she was beautiful. The twin glows from the candlelight and the Bundys were helping, of course. Even so, Jason knew that she'd still be stunning in the morning. She took a piece of bacon from the salad. He felt he could watch her eat all night. There's not much to tell. I grew up in Maruchador, local high school. I'm a hairdresser. She shook her head and mm, he looked at her curls. She was perfect. She was perfect. My parents divorced when I was 14. It wasn't a good time for me. I'm a bit sensitive now to relationships. I haven't had a lot of luck. Some men are bastards. To his surprise, she reached across the table and took his hand. He looked into her beautiful, wonderful eyes. Well, I'm not like that, he whispered. No, I don't think so, she said. They began talking again, finding too many shared interests for it just to be a coincidence. They loved the same shows, both followed the Broncos and liked the same music. Do you like to dance? she asked. Well, I'm not much of a dancer, he told her. She looked instantly disappointed. But I'll give it a go for you, he said. He'd had enough to drink that he was loose enough not to worry about what people were thinking. But not so much that he was unco. He thought he was pretty smooth, actually. She was smiling. Then the DJ put on flame trees. Jason held her waist. He loved cold chisel. She moved her face towards his. He looked down into her eyes. They kissed for a long time. It felt like a long time, but it was probably only one verse. Then, at the end of the song, she pulled away. It's getting late, she said. I'd better be going. He didn't want her to leave. He really didn't want her to leave. How about one for the road, he asked. She shook her head. Plenty of time for more drinks another day, she said. You want to walk me to the taxis? They held hands as they went outside. It was warm. The moon was full and it lurked at the end of the concourse. On an impulse, he led her towards the open air. Hey, where are we going? She asked, laughing. Outside, with the sky over them and the moon bleeding silver into the parking lot, they kissed again. Jason could still hear Colchisel in his head. When they finished kissing, she led him up to his room. They talked about life and their pasts and hopes and what the future would be like. They made love twice. They skirted around how they'd fit into each other's lives, but they exchanged numbers. Jason had never felt more connected to anyone. They went to sleep in each other's arms. She was gone when he woke up. He smiled at the memory of her, as if to check the whole thing was real. He looked at his phone and saw her number. He smiled again and slowly dressed. The phone buzzed. He hoped it was Gina, but it was Jeff. How you feeling, mate? Jason asked. Oh, still a bit crook. What did you get up to? Early night for me, Jason lied. You should have gone back down, got stuck into it, Jason laughed. They arranged to meet in the foyer. Jason watched as Jeff paid his bill. He was still looking decidedly green around the gills. Then he stepped forward to pay and, oh damn, he'd left his wallet in his room. Jeff stayed with the bags as he raced back upstairs. His room was untouched by the cleaners. No sign of his wallet though. Bugger! Must have put it in my suitcase. He went back to the lobby and Jeff laughed as he dumped his clothes on the floor. Oh, I must have lost it last night, he said. Then he remembered, as well as his cards and his license, the wallet had been bulging with a thousand bucks. I must have been pickpocketed, he said to Jeff. I thought you said you had an early night. Jason smiled. I came down for a couple of drinks. That's when I won. Jeff looked at him. Won what? I won at Blackjack. Jeff smiled. I'd say someone was watching you and slipped it out of your pocket before you went back upstairs. I'll cover the bill, mate. You can fix me up later. Three weeks later, Jason arrived home after work to find his clothes all over the front lawn, his shoes and his fishing gear and trophies and footy stuff too. Ronnie, he called out. Ronnie, what the hell's going on? She came to the door crying. She had Madison in her arms and Davy was clinging to her leg. What's happening, he asked. Why don't you tell me, she said. Well, I don't understand. You're an asshole, Jace. You're out of this house for good. Madison started crying harder. No, no, don't don't shout like that, Jason said. What's going on, doll? Mum says you're a lying, cheating bastard, Davy told him. She says you hate us, Dad. Jason got angry then. None of this made sense. He took a step forward. I've called the police, Jase. I don't want any drama. What? You heard me. He looked at Madison still clinging to her mother as she closed the door. He wasn't having it. He started knocking loudly. ''Go away, Jase!'' Ronnie yelled. He knocked again, then saw a police car in the drive. Two officers slowly walked up to him, an older male, quite overweight, and a young woman with a ponytail. ''Everything okay?'' the man asked. ''Constable Stephen Robbins,'' Jason saw from his name badge. ''Oh, yeah, I've just got home to find all my stuff,'' ''Turfed out,'' Jason said. ''No idea what's going on. You been fighting?'' ''No, nothing.'' This morning was the same as any other. Had my cornflakes. Talked about oil in the deck. I don't know. What's going on? How about we have a chat with your wife, the female officer said. Probationary Constable Susan Chan, Jason saw. Nice smile. She quietly knocked on the door. Jason saw the curtains move and realised Ronnie had been watching. Officer Chan went inside. Jason was standing with Officer Robbins. "I've, I've no idea what's going on, Jason said. The policeman sighed. Well, let Susie talk to your missus. Maybe it's something that's easy to work out, he said. Jason looked at his clothing on the lawn. He knew Ronnie and doubted it was going to be easy. He gathered his stuff into a pile. He didn't know whether to put it in his ute. He decided to hear what Officer Chan had to say. It was about fifteen minutes before she came out. Mind if I have a word with him in private, she asked Robbins. Suit yourself, he said, heading to the car. Officer Chan led Jason to his ute. She's worried you're going to get angry, she said. I just want to know what's going on, he said. She's got syphilis. Huh? he asked. The STI? She says you gave it to her. Jason remembered the night on the Gold Coast. Then a week or so later, the burning when he pissed. He'd passed it off as, well, as, well, you know, something he didn't want to worry about. He'd gone to the doctor taken the tablets, avoided sex with Ronnie ever since. He thought he'd gotten away with it. She thinks you've slept around on her. She's very upset. It was only one night. He hadn't told anyone about Gina, not even Jeff. My suggestion to you, sir, is grab your things and find somewhere else to stay tonight. Jason looked towards the house. Sir, if I could make a suggestion... He realised that Officer Chan was holding his arm... Don't make an issue of it, sir. Don't try and solve it tonight. Don't get angry with her and say something that you regret. Don't make us come back here, sir, all right? She was looking right into his eyes. How many domestic disputes had she already witnessed? (laughs) And she was only young. I hear you, he told her. The officers helped him load the ute. He glanced up at the house at one stage and saw the kids watching. He gave them a wave. Madison waved back, but Davy turned away. He looked over at Officer Chan. She was watching him as if he was going to make a run for the house. He turned back to the window, but both the kids were gone. He made no effort to hide how angry he was as he hurled the rest of his gear into the back of his ute. He drove slowly away, followed by the police car. It stayed behind for a couple of kilometres and then turned off, like this was the safe distance. He realised it probably was. No point going back to have it out with Ronnie now. He headed for a motel on the north side of town. He'd call her tomorrow. Try and sort it out then. After the third call, she agreed to meet him at Donut King. She insisted on bringing her sister Brenda with her. He'd been doing some fencing. He liked ramming the driver into the star pickets, maybe too much. He'd gotten into a rhythm and gone overtime. He was a few minutes late. They'd dressed up like it was something formal. No sign of the kids. His heart was racing. Uh Hey, he said. He went to kiss her, but she pulled away. That made him angry. He ordered a cappuccino. They already had theirs sitting in front of him. I wanted Brenda here because I don't want you losing the plot, Ronnie said. That might be a little difficult, seeing you've ripped our family apart, he told her. I didn't rip it apart, Ronnie said. I'm not the one who's been screwing around, am I? I don't know what you're talking about. I told the cop to tell you about the... She leaned forward and whispered, syphilis. For all I know, it was you doing the running around, he said. For a second he thought he'd gone too far and that he was about to wear her coffee. Then the waitress came over and handed him his. Cappuccino, two sugars, extra chocolate. He looked at his coffee. When he looked back up at Ronnie, she was in tears. Brenda was holding her hand. Ronnie doesn't want you to stay at home anymore, Jase. She'll work out access to the kids down the track. They're my bloody kids. It came out louder than he meant. You might have thought about that before you did what you did. There were other customers looking. Ronnie had her hands over her eyes. Brenda was glaring at him. Jace, Ronnie came here today to try and clear the air. She doesn't want to have to deal with your anger issues. My anger issues, he asked. Again, it came out louder than he meant. Ronnie started crying harder. He thought of the fence waiting for him. The wires dangling loosely waiting for the strainer. The holes to be dug, the dirt to be tamped around the posts. Cockatoo screeching, a cow bellowing somewhere. I'll give her a couple of days to calm down, he said, standing to go. But then, I'm moving back in. She cried harder. He went back to work. She wouldn't answer his calls. He just wanted everything to blow over. They normally got on so well. True, the last few months had been a bit strained and generally she'd been off sex. The night at Jupiter's had been a real stuff-up, though. What a dickhead he'd been. Losing his wallet had been bad enough, but why hadn't he worn a franger? He still had Gina's number in his phone. She'd never rung him, but that was hardly surprising. He'd given her a fake number. Last thing he needed was her calling and Ronnie answering. He realised he wanted to ring her, just to have someone soft to talk to. She'd given him the clap though. Most likely she hadn't known. Some bloke had probably cheated on her and passed it on. She said some men were bastards and his mum used to say that people were only buses for germs after all. He opened a Bundy and Coke and took a sip. He had to watch it. He didn't want to write himself off and be crook in the morning again. He sculled half the can. Stuff it. He scrolled through the contacts, found her name and pressed call. This number is invalid. Shit. He must have ended it wrongly. He lay back and was suddenly thinking of Madison and Davy. He hadn't seen them for two weeks now. His eyes started stinging with tears. He sat up and wiped them away. He drained the can. Then he walked to the little fridge and grabbed another. He turned on the TV and started watching some reality crap. It and the Bundy kept the sadness at bay. He'd give Ronnie a few more days to calm down. He wanted to see his kids, but no point in aggravating her. Friday night, he went down to the post office hotel and got on the wrong end of a few schooners. It was a good night to get shit-faced. There were a few blokes there, some had their missuses with them. He stayed away from the women. If they'd heard anything from Ronnie, that all be judgy. It'd piss him off. Jeff arrived and they talked about the footy and work. Then... He asked for a quiet word and Jason knew that the news was out. Carol Withers heard from Ronnie, Jeff said. It's not true, is it? Stuffed Carol Withers, Jason said. But is it? Jeff asked. Jason nodded. No point bullshitting to Jeffro. Yeah, she had all my stuff on the lawn. Called the cops on me. Jeff was looking at him. I didn't get aggro, mate. I mean, I'm not that stupid. So? Jeff asked. Shit. Ronnie must be telling everyone about the clap. Yeah, Jay said. Remember that night at Jupiter's? Well, I pulled a bird in the bar. Top check too. You bloody idiot, Jeff said laughing. Yeah, I reckon you'd say that. That's why I didn't tell you. You screwed her? Jeff asked, suddenly serious. Yeah, mate. It was a bloody beaut night. I won all that money, met that chick, and we went to bed. It was totally grouse. Your wallet, Jeff said. Except for, you know, losing my wallet, yeah, that was a bit ordinary. You didn't lose it, mate. Jeff wasn't laughing anymore. Wait, what? Jason asked. She nicked it from you, Jace. Had to be. Too much of a coincidence. Anything else missing? No, nah, nothing, Jason said. Jeff thought for a moment. What about that watch you won? Jason had forgotten all about it. Gone too, huh? Jeff said. Jason nodded. Reckon you got done good and proper, mate. And she gave you the clap. Yeah. And you gave the clap to Ronnie. Uh, yeah. And why didn't you wear a rubber? Jason shook his head. Not like I was planning on anything, mate. I mean, it took me by surprise. She was going home, but then I convinced her to come up to my room. You convinced her? Jeff was smiling again. You reckon she was conning me? Jason asked. Then why did she give me her number? Did she? Jason sighed. I entered it into the phone wrong. Yeah, yeah, sure, that's what happened. Not that she lied to you, Jeff said. Jason was quiet. Did you give her yours? Jeff asked. Jason shook his head. Are you nuts? He said. What if she'd rung and Ronnie had taken the call? Jeff laughed. Regular Romeo and Juliet, you two, he said. There was money gone on my credit card too, Jason admitted. Jeff drained his glass. You're a prize dickhead, mate, he said. That chick must have seen a trusting bloke like you coming from a mile away. You didn't have a chance. Not a bloody chance. Jason knew as soon as he'd pulled into the driveway that Ronnie had moved out. The house looked wrong. There was rubbish in the yard. She'd never have stood for that. A few of his things flooded on the line, but nothing of hers or the kids. Even Rexy had gone. He loved that dog. He let himself in and walked slowly through the house. It was tidy but bare. She must have got removalless. There wasn't much left. For the first time he realised that this might be permanent that they weren't going to work it out so he'd just move back in. He remembered when Tommy Squires had been caught by his missus screwing around. Ronnie had never had any sympathy for him, nor for Jilly Bales, who he'd been caught with either. If anything, she had more disdain for Jilly than for Tommy. Jilly had left town not long afterwards. The vibe against her from the women was pretty intense. You didn't sleep with a married bloke. You didn't betray your husband. That was their code. Jason realised he was shaking. He'd come over, hoping that she'd let him see the kids for a few hours. There was a note on the counter. Gone to mum's while we work out the divorce and sell the house. You can see the kids at Easter. She hadn't even signed it. Her mother lived in Lightning Ridge. The ridge was a good five hours drive. It was going to make it bloody hard. And Easter was still another six weeks. Davy had done him a drawing. It was all of them stick figures with lopsided faces, and Rexy with five legs, scrawled by an eight-year-old with a handful of texters. This time Jason couldn't stop crying. He had to tell his parents about Ronnie. He knew the look he'd get from his father. He'd known it his whole life. Half disappointed, half curiosity. Like asking, how can one human be so stupid? Even now, after uni, when he was running the whole show, He'd had that look from his dad so often after he'd said something before turning on his brain. He was going to cop it big time. His mum made tea. Thankfully, his dad offered him a beer. He relished every drop. You said you had something to tell us, his mother said. He thought she looked slightly disappointed to see him with the beer. Guess you won't want cake, she said. Ronnie's up the duff again, his father asked. Ralphie, said his mother, with feigned shock. They'd been married for over 40 years. Surely nothing, his dad said, could shock her now. (laughs) It was about standards, Jason thought. If his dad farted or swore, she always told him off. It was her way of keeping standards. No, no, she's not pregnant. She's gone. What did you do? His dad said. Ralphie, why do you think it's Jason's fault? Is it? his father asked, giving him a point twenty two magnum of a stare right into his dying dog face. Jason nodded. I did something stupid when I went to Queensland for the conference. Got too pissed and I slept with this bird. Jesus, those poor kids, his father said. Is there any chance? asked his mother. She's pretty cut. I didn't think she'd take it this bad. His mother was sniffling little sobs of disappointment. Jason knew she was worried for Davy and Madison and her own relationship with her grandkids. She liked her Wednesday mornings with them. You've bloody stuffed up this time, mark my words, his dad said. Jason felt like he'd been waiting for the opportunity to say this his whole life. About a week later, Ronnie took his call and then passed the phone on to the kids. He didn't get much out of Madison, of course. She was too young, but Davy talked his head off. Jason realised how much he'd missed seeing them. He would have been happy to have let the kid chat for hours, but Ronnie took the phone after about 20 minutes. Have to get him to bed, she said. Yeah, I know. He misses you, she added. Hmm, well, that'll happen when his mother uproots him from his family. I don't think you're in a position to talk about roots, are you, Jace? She ended the call. He nearly threw the phone into the wall. It was still three weeks till Easter. The road's pretty flat from Narrabri to Lightning Ridge, and Jason floored it once he was on the other side of Wee War. Usually, he liked travelling, but this time he just wanted to be there. He wasn't interested in who was planting what, what livestock was around, or how much land was under cotton. He went too fast, but he didn't care. The chances of a copper were remote. He sat on 130 Ks most of the way. When he got to the ridge, he rang Matty Brennan. He was an old mate from school and the only bloke Jason knew in the ridge. He was hoping Maddie would offer him his lounge for the night and that they'd wet their whistles over a few cleansing ales later. Maddie didn't answer. Jason drove around for a while trying to remember which street Ronnie's mum lived in. He found it and pulled up out front. His heart was racing. Davey ran out first, followed by Madison. Jeez, it was good to see him. He picked up both of them, one in each arm, Madison was kissing him. Davy was saying, Dad, Dad. Oh, it was brilliant. Ronnie was standing at the door, watching. Well, you gonna ask me in? He asked, smiling. She surprised him. Uh-uh, there's a park down the road. Davy loves it down there, she said. He stopped smiling. I can't spend the rest of the day in a park? Ronnie was staring like she didn't understand him. Your problem, she said. Just bring them back by four. Four? What am I going to do till then, he said. I don't know, buy him lunch. They're your kids, Jase. But how am I supposed to take Madison? I don't have a car seat for her. She glared at him and came down the drive and made a big show of getting the one out of her car. Then she went inside and shut the door. He took them to the park and they played there until Davy said he was hungry. They found a fish and chip place and sat there for a while. What are we going to do now, Dad? Davy asked enthusiasm of an eight-year-old. Jason didn't want to let him down. We are going park exploring, Jason told him. There were only a couple, and he stretched out their time and got them some more drinks. Jason made up a few games they could play, which Davy loved. Madison giggled a lot and kept coming in for hugs. It was actually a pretty good day. He was even a couple of minutes late getting back to Ronnie's. I said four o'clock the joy left him. He hugged the kids and they ran inside. Then it kicked off. Don't talk to me like that in front of the kids, Ronnie. I'll talk to you any damn way I like, she said. You'd better respect that if you ever want to see them again. You've got no right to stop me seeing them. He took a step towards the house. Get off this property, Jason. Stay away or I'm calling the cops. His blood was boiling. But then he saw Madison and Davy at the window. They could watch their mother get angry, but they weren't going to see him lose his cool. I was hoping to have him for the weekend next time, he said, lowering his voice and walking towards his car. Madison's too young, she said. Well, didn't stop you going on that hens night a couple of months back. She glared at him. She hated to be proved wrong. If you have them, what are you going to do? You can't drive them all the way back to Narrabri and then bring them back the next day. It's too far for them. I'll get a motel. Huh? she said, like motels hadn't been invented yet. Come on, he said, please, she stared at him. I'll think about it, she said eventually. He tried ringing Maddie again, but there was still no answer. He was seething, really bloody angry. She had no right to talk to him like that. They were his kids too. He was doing over a 150. He cranked up the CD with cold chisel blaring and wound down the window. The countryside flew past him. He knew he was being followed by a tall signal of dust and leaves. Then a roo jumped out and he had to hit the anchors pretty hard. Jesus! There was a whole mob of them. He had a decent bull bar, but there was no point in hitting the bastards. He slowed down. They were really thick here. He'd never seen so many in one place. Up ahead, some emus. A regular wildlife park, he thought. He pulled over to watch him. No issue with them seeing their kids, he thought. No child support either. He'd recently got a letter. There was one, a male, bigger than the rest. Eastern grey, Jason thought. It was hopping slowly around, sliding its tail between its legs and then using it as a lever to move itself forward. No effort at all. Not far from the roo was a rusty ring-lock fence. It was topped with a strand of saggy barbed wire. There was a smaller roo sniffing around the base of a pole. There was something caught there, he realised. Her joey. She was shoving it with her nose, but the poor little bugger was snagged in the fence. He sat there a while. Uh, no sense leaving it to die, he thought. He'd shot enough roos over the years, but only when they were taking too much feed. It was never something he enjoyed. He got out of his car and the mob paused. Many eyes turned to him. He walked to the fence yeah, caught in the wire where it had tried to get through. It didn't take much to free it. He put it on the ground and he thought it had hopped straight over to its mum, but instead it came towards him. It sniffed his boots. He slowly put his hand out and scratched it behind the ears. It seemed to like it. Eventually it hopped back to the doe and dived headfirst into a pouch. Jason went back to his car. He realised how tired he was and wondered if he should have a sleep. A little while later, he saw the big male roo, the one he'd spotted earlier, head towards him. Bug it if it didn't come right up to him. Did it want to scratch as well? Some of the other roos looked over as if interested, but then turned away again and went back to chewing grass. A few lay on the ground, scratching. The roo was sniffing the side of his car. The window was down. He knew roos could be dangerous if they attacked, but only if they'd got their rear legs into your guts. The roo was now at his window, looking at him. He stared back into its placid eyes, like a deer's, he thought, very calm, gentle. Thanks, mate, the kangaroo said. Jason's heart started racing again. Uh, what? he asked. I said, thanks, for getting Wesley out of the fence. Little bugger would have carved it otherwise. The roo was looking at him intently. What's your name? it asked. Uh... "'Jason?' "'He'd said it without thinking to himself. "'I'm talking to a kangaroo.' "'Jason,' the roo repeated. "'Uh, what's yours?' Jason asked. "'I I mean, if kangaroos have names.' "'Yeah, of course we have names. "'What do you think we are, bloody budgies?' Budgerigars don't have names?' "'No, well, yeah, they do, but it's the same one. "'They're all called Steve.' You know when you see those flocks of them? Thousands of birds all wheeling in unison, tremendously spectacular. Yeah, I've seen it. Well, then you'll know the noise as well, the shrieking. Yeah, I know it. Well, it's all, on your right, Steve, and I'm coming up behind you, Steve. Steve, look left, look left, and get out of your way, Steve, and on and on and on. They're all called Steve. Uh-huh. Anyway, my name's Buck Thumper. Pleased to meet you. The rue looked very solemn and held up its paw. Mechanically, Jason stretched out his hand and shook it. Buckthumper? Jason asked. Yeah, it's a bit of a mouthful, I know. Real name's Ron, but we have ceremonial names as well as the ones that we're born with. Named after something we've done, usually. So I thumped a few bucks three springs ago, hence Buckthumper. Works for me. <laughs> Not so good for old squidders over there, though. Squidders? You know, runny shit, had it a long time when he was a joey and it stuck. Well, I mean the name stuck. Actually, so did the shit now that I think about it. There are a few kangaroos now watching the conversation, including the joey Jason had recently rescued. Wesley's too young for a ceremonial name yet. Well, he seems nice. Hopefully it won't be to do with shit, (laughs) Jason said. Time will tell the kangaroo said. Anywho, I just wanted to say thanks. It's not everyone would have done what you did. Yeah, uh, no worries, said Jason. The roo went as if to hop away and then turned back to Jason. You got kids? it asked. Jason told him about Davy and Madison and how things had turned out with Ronnie. Humans, (laughs) Buckthumper muttered. We may have a bust up with the missus, but we never argue over the kids. The good thing about being the dominant male in the mob, I suppose. Most of the young ones are mine. There's a few that aren't, but, you know, I pretend not to notice. I can't cover all the females. Well, to tell you the truth, I do. That's my ride, at least for a few more years till Two or Longhopper want a challenge. Or even Squidders. He's got a decent left hook. I'll give him that. But I let him have a bit of fun with the females if they think that I'm not watching and the does are into it. Doesn't hurt to have a happy mob. Yeah, I guess not, Jason said. Anyway, nice yarnin' with you. Ya. I'd better be off. We gotta move a bit further into the scrub before night. There's shooters around, and they'd love to come across a big mob like this. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty big. Thanks again for Wesley, the roo said. And nice to chat. It's been a real pleasure, Jason said. Uh, hey, before you go, can I ask you something? Speaking man to roo, that is. Sure. Buck Thumper looked around, scratching his chest lightly. Apparently satisfied there was no danger on the horizon, he turned back to Jason. With all the benefits of your kangaroo experience, what's the most important thing you can tell me? Buck Thumper suddenly sat up, sniffing. He looked bloody majestic, Jason thought. Bugger, Buck Thumper said. Gotta go. There's a road train coming. Nothing to worry about, but behind it, there's a couple of utes. Shooters. I can smell them. Gotta move. We'll talk again, okay? With that, he bounded off. The other kangaroos followed. So did the emus. By the time the road train roared past, there wasn't an animal in sight. A minute or two later, two youths sped past Jason's car without slowing. Jason was happy about that. As Jason drove back from the ridge every second Sunday afternoon, he and Buckthumper spoke more. He'd stop his car in the usual spot and snooze until Buckthumper appeared. Jason began to rely on the kangaroo. He was someone to confide in. His advice seemed good. They were mates, Jason realised. Jason even thought about leaving a mobile with Buckthumper so they could talk more often, but there was no service out there. They'd lie back on the grass and tell stories of each other's worlds. The more Jason got to know Thumper, the more he liked him. He cared deeply for his mob. But while he was in the top spot now, he knew that eventually there'd be another rue to challenge him. It'll be okay, Buckthumper said. I've had my time in the sun after all. Seasons of life and all that. Just kind of fun being at the top spot. Doesn't the responsibility weigh you down though? Jason asked. Buck Thumper looked over towards Two Claws who'd just floored another Roo with a wicked right cross. I do my job, he said. I listen, I watch, and I sniff. I know the best places for the mob to hide. Spring was on its way. What would the character of the mob be like if Buck Thumper wasn't in charge? Jason didn't think it would be so relaxed. The next time he was dropping off the kids to Ronnie, another car pulled into the driveway. Jesus, Maddie, what are you doing here? The awkward silence that followed told him why Maddie was there. I, I-, I was going to tell you, Ronnie said, but she didn't say anything else. You and Maddie? Jason asked. She nodded. I-, I wanted to tell you too, Maddie said, holding out his hand. It had been six months. He couldn't expect Ronnie to stay single forever. He shook Maddie's hand. Maddie still looked uncomfortable. I'd offer you a beer, mate. Uh, Jason knew that none of them were ready for social scenarios, not yet anyway. He shook his head. Yeah, yeah, I'd better get on the way. He hugged the kids and he set off home. Things might have stayed like that, but after about a year, Jason stopped at the usual spot and even after an hour, there was no Rue inside. It had never happened in all the time he and Buckthumper had been talking. He waited a little while longer, then just as he was about to leave, he saw Buck Thumper hopping slowly towards him. He bounded gracefully, but Jason thought he looked tired. Eventually he reached the car. Jesus, mate. What happened? Two Claws finally make his move. Buck Thumper nodded. Bastard jumped me when I wasn't expecting it. I could have had him, but he surprised me. What's a bloke to do? Buck Thumper felt that Two Claws wouldn't last long at the top and there was already trouble brewing with some of the younger bucks. Well, what'll you do? Jason asked. Eh, I've got half a mind to stick around and challenge again, but I don't know if I'd have the energy, to be honest. Thought I might head over your way, actually. There's a doe in a mob over there, and I used to have my eye on her. She's a bit older now. I reckon the dominant male might turn a blind eye. They were quiet then. Two mates saying goodbye to the only routine they'd known together, not knowing if they'd ever see each other again. That first day we met, you asked me a question, Thumper said. I did, asked Jason. What's the best piece of kangaroo wisdom I could give you, Buckthumper reminded him. You want to know, he asked. Sure, Jason said. Well, the obvious thing is to look after the land. If you don't have good land, you've got nothing. Figured you'd be a greenie, Jason said. Buckthumper smiled and figured you wouldn't be, Buckthumper replied. Let's just say that some of our talks might have changed my mind a bit in that regard, Jason told him. My other advice is don't hesitate, Buckthumper said. If you're called to action, know when to leap. Know when to leap. That's it? Best I've got, Buckthumper told him. What about you, he asked. Jason thought. How about, you don't know what you've got till it's gone, he said after a while. Thumper looked at Jason. All you can offer for being top of the food chain, he asked eventually. Jason looked back. Sorry, he said. Thumper went to leave. There's about a hundred hectares of scrub at the back of ours, Jason told him. Haven't got around to clearing it yet. Reckon I might leave it alone. If you got there, you'd be pretty undisturbed. Jason drew a rough map in the dirt. Think you'd want to come? I'll see how I go findin' golden tail. Maybe we'll head over there together. Buck Thumper sniffed. His ears twitched. Jason could tell he'd sensed something. Shooters? he asked. Nah, just two claws coming back for another go. Much as I hate to admit it, I'm too old for this kind of thing. He turned to Jason. I'd better take my own advice, know when to leap. See ya, mate. With that, Buck Thumper was gone, bounding across the dirt, flying over a fence like it was no effort at all. Jeez, he looked good," Jason thought. He wished he could jump like that." Another year passed. Jason didn't see any sign of Buck Thumper or the other ruse in all the trips he made back and forth to the ridge. It soon became obvious that things weren't going too well for Ronnie and Maddie. Davy told Jason that they argued a lot, and he'd heard a few critical comments from Ronnie as well. Jason knew how she could be if she wasn't happy about something. Jason had been seeing Janelle Riley, but the relationship had gone off the boil. He didn't mind. One Saturday morning, he was feeling pretty good. For a change, Ronnie was dropping the kids to him. She wanted to go to the footy later. They were out the front of Jason's new place in Narrabri. He'd come down the driveway but stood a few metres back. Ronnie and Maddie were having a discussion which appeared to be getting more heated. Davy was still in the car, but Madison was down near the road. And then it happened. She'd been throwing gravel, which none of them had given a second thought to, but then she started running across the road after it. A white Mazda was speeding down the street. He couldn't see Madison yet. She was hidden by Ronnie's car, but the Mazda would be right on her as soon as she emerged. Jason took all this in in a microsecond, He also saw that Matty, a good ten metres closer to Madison than he was, was frozen. He'd seen it too, but he hadn't moved. Jason was on Madison in just a few steps, but so was the Mazda. With one almighty thrust, he scooped her up and dived across the road like he was playing footy and she was the ball. He almost, almost made it, but the front driver's side mudguard of the Mazda clipped his left ankle. It was going so fast it spun him around and his back collected the side of the car. That gave him enough speed so that he started sliding along the road. He was in a singlet and shorts. He kept Madison wrapped tightly in his arms. The Mazda squealed its brakes and came to a halt. In the middle of the road, so did Jason. Ronnie ran over and grabbed Madison. She was scared but otherwise unhurt. Jason slowly stood. Nothing seemed broken but he'd taken off a fair bit of bark. In fact. He was grazed from head to foot. It was going to sting like buggery. They called the Ambos, who took him to casualty, but there was not much damage. They cleaned him up, loaded him with painkillers and sent him home. He had a couple of rough nights, but the grazers scabbed over and he slowly healed. He thought Buck Thumper would have been proud of him. He'd known when to leap. Ronnie and Maddie broke up and Ronnie started inviting Jason in for a cuppa when he dropped the kids off. When she brought them to him, he asked her inside as well and, and the anger that had lain between them dropped away. They were two parents again, invested with a shared love of their children. Jason ran into Maddie in the ridge one afternoon outside the pub. They talked footy for a while. Maddie had asked after Davy and Madison, which Jason appreciated. Then Maddie held out his hand. Just wanted to apologise, mate, he said. Nothing to apologise for, Jason answered, shaking Maddie's hand. Ronnie was single. I don't blame you for having a crack. Yeah, Maddie replied. Jason could tell something wasn't quite right. Wait, what are you apologising for? Are, are you saying Ronnie wasn't single when you guys got together? Maddie didn't say anything and walked inside the pub. Another couple of months passed, then one Saturday Ronnie slept over at Jason's place. It made sense as Davy was playing footy the next day and she wanted to see him and didn't want to have to drive back from the ridge again. After a few drinks and a good movie on the lounge together, well, they ended up in bed. They got back together not long after that. The kids were happy and so were they. One afternoon, Jason took Ronnie and the kids over to the property. He drove them out the back. He didn't tell them why, but he was looking for Buckthumper. He'd never shown up and Jason didn't think he'd ever see him again. That evening though, just before sunset, they saw two roos in the distance. Jason could swear that one had a gold tail. The other one looked like Buck Thumper, tall, elegant and strong. The roo paused and Jason knew he was smelling them, no matter that he was a couple of hundred metres away. Jason waved and when the kids saw what he was doing, They waved as well. In the distance, the kangaroo waved back. Then it hopped away after its mate. Jason and Ronnie and the kids never forgot that afternoon.
0: That was Darren Gilshannon reading Conversations with Buck Thumper*. It was recorded in Darren's home studio in Mount Tambourine, Queensland, and was mastered at King Sound Studios. The music was by Trevor Brown. Please check out his website. There's links from earmovies.com. Season two of Ear Movies is brought to you in a shameless plug for my audiobook, Charlie's Wives, read by Robert Hansen. Based on a true fragment of history, Charlie Brewster writes letters for African American Army wives to their husbands at the front during the American Civil War. In a world of violence and PTSD, he starts to learn about intimacy and women.
1: You ready to write back? he asked. She nodded immediately and spoke almost before he was ready to write. Tell him that the wind came from the north today
0: and I felt him on it felt his young hands against my old ones like when he was small, when we used to walk together, when he clutched me to stop himself from falling. Y'all can tell him I miss him.
1: That is the honest truth, sir. The almighty God's honest truth.
0: You can buy Charlie's Wives from Audible or get the hard copy from Amazon or the e-book from Kindle. There are links on the Ear Movies website. Please come back for more of Conversations with Buck Thumper, Season Two of the Movies. I'm Simon Lockhurst. Thanks for listening. <music>